Great to be here with you this morning. Uh, if you've been following along in this stewardship series, you know that we look at time, talent, treasure, testimony. And if you've been adding it up, time, talent, treasure. So that's what we're looking at this morning. And I want to let you know from the, from the get-go, as you already have sort of been uh, maybe forewarned is the best word. Uh, we're going to be talking about money this morning. And, and the reason that I want you to be prepared for that, because there's no topic in church that brings more emotions than when someone stands up here and talks about money. And I know that. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I understand that, that maybe even now some of you are sort of tightening up in your chest, you know. But the reality of it is uh, you're going to fight. It's between you and God. You know, I don't know what any of you give. I don't know if you do give, don't give. And to be honest with you, I only care in, in as much as I believe that there's freedom in the message I'm going to share with you this morning. I know what I give, and that's all that, that matters. It's between me and God and you and God. Uh, but there's a message of, of life-giving freedom in, in this message of, of money. I, I, anytime I talk about money, I think of a story uh, that, that happened uh, at the church I was a part of right out of college. Uh, it was my second year, I believe, there. And, uh, and I found out the story um, much, much later. Uh, what had happened was a lady had come to the church and she had found Christ and she was growing in the Lord. And she said to her husband, come with me. I want you to come to have you come to church with me. And he, he wanted no part of it, no part of it whatsoever. But she lovingly, persistently invited him every Sunday as she came. And one Sunday he decided he would come. And so he came and he showed up. And on that Sunday... Uh, as we're in the habit of doing here, we do a stewardship series once a year. And on that particular Sunday, he showed up. Guess what John, the pastor, preached on? Tithing. And he left the church mad. He said, this church, I knew it all churches, all they talk about is money. And the truth of the matter is John did it in the stewardship message like me once a year. And, and so he left. And she just prayed and persistently invited him and invited him. And finally, he relented a year later. And he showed up, and he showed up on Stewardship Sunday again. <laughs> the good part of that story is sometime after that, he gave his life to Christ. He, he, did, he did return. So this may be your first time, and you think, oh, I knew it. That's all they talk about. We talk about other things as well. Although we're in good company when we talk about money, it's interesting to me that when we look at the Gospels, that Jesus taught on money second only to the kingdom of God. Let that sink in for a minute. So if you came to hear Jesus, you had a good chance of hearing about the kingdom of God, but you also had a good chance of hearing about money. Now, why, why is that? Well, I think James W. Frick pretty much sums it up for us. He says, don't tell me where your priorities are. Show me where you, where you spend your money, and I'll tell you what your priorities are. Think about it. Jesus put it this way. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we look at this word heart in scripture, it means the core of who we are, the essence of who we are. It's our, it's our, it's our emotions, it's our reason, it's our will. And therefore, Jesus teaches in Matthew 6, 19 and 20. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, the righteousness of the kingdom of heaven works out in the details of one's personal life and in what we do with all things. That's what we're calling this series All In, including what we do with our wealth. And by the way, the wealth doesn't mean we're wealthy. It just means what we have. Francis Bacon professed, he says, money is a great servant, but a bad master. Think about that for a minute. Isn't that true? Money is a great servant, but a bad master. And I would add this, money's not bad. It's helpful. 
but it often is the biggest obstacle to being all in with the Lord. I mean, it's not bad. I enjoy driving here this morning. Many of you probably, how many of you enjoy driving here this morning? It was a little cold out there, wasn't it? I enjoyed actually having autos start on my truck. What an amazing invention. I wish I knew who that was. I'd like to just give him a hug. You know, just sort of, it was nice and warm, got in, had to have a cold walk from my garage to the truck and a cold walk from my truck to in here. Besides that, I've been warm all morning. I mean, think about it. Money's not a bad thing, but it is one of the biggest obstacles to being all in with the Lord. And therefore, the Lord's instituted what, what's come to be known as the principle of first fruits. And the principle of first fruits is giving God the first and best of what we have. The first and best of what we have. In the video, we saw that, that from the very beginning, the second generation, Cain and Abel, that they gave to the Lord of the first fruits. Now, it's interesting because there's no Old Testament at the time. It's before the Old Testament is, is passed down. And, and so they, they, they were taught this, we, we assume, from the Lord himself, that maybe from their parents that this first fruits um, giving was, was what God would have for them. But, but here's the point I want to bring our attention to, that since sin and selfishness had entered into the world, through the fall, God introduced a practice of giving that would counteract greed. That would counteract greed. And we need to give back to God to maintain his spiritual health. And, and therefore, what I want us to understand is that when we look at the principle of first fruits, one of the things that it teaches us is this, is that giving the Lord our first fruits is for our benefit. Our benefit. It's about what God wants for us. It's not what he wants from us. He wants for us. But what he wants for us is a part of what we give to him. When we look back to God, and when we give back to God a portion of what he's given us, it really acknowledges that God has owned everything anyway. He's the owner of everything. Being all in is an acknowledgement of that, that, that everything I have, God, is yours, and everything that exists is because of you. And, and again, Jesus, in Matthew 6, 21, that's why he says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So Jesus taught what? That, that your giving will reveal your heart and that your heart will follow your treasure. And so as a Christ follower, as a Christ follower, what are we to do? We're, we're to be faithful to God. We're to be all in with him. You know, it's difficult in any relationship for that relationship to flourish if you're only partially in. I'm married, been married for over 30 years. And I remember standing still this day, you know, before the, the pastors, we had two pastors. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those geeks. And so we had two pastors because I was a ministry student. So we didn't know who to ask. We just asked both of them. And we stood before two pastors. And I was such a geek. I actually wrote the message for, the, for our own ceremony. Like, how weird is that when I look back at that? Like I said, this is what you should say to us. That's so weird. But I remember standing there and making our, our vows to one another. And, and really what we're saying is, as, a, as a man and a woman becoming husband and wife is saying, look, I'm going to be all in on this thing. What I didn't say was, you know what, let's just try this out. You know, I'll give you 60% now and I'll tell you what, the other 40% of things work out okay. If you make me happy. Getting really quiet in here. You know what, that's true of every relationship, isn't it? When we come to the Lord, it's like, God, I'm going to give you everything. Teach me to give you everything. And I know that it's not perfect, but it's my perfect intention. God, I'm, I'm all yours. Teach me to be all yours. I don't want to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to give you 60%. And, and if you make me happy, I'll give you the other 40%. 
If you do things the way I, I want you to, then, then maybe we can, we can talk about maybe another 10% or five. Just doesn't work that way. No relationship flourishes with that mindset. Our heavenly treasure has, has the eternal value. It, again, it's not saying that making money is bad. In fact, the scripture says if you have the ability to make money, make money. But, it, but, it, but use it for God's glory. But, but the reality of it is the greatest gift we can give to God is our lives. Us. And the greatest treasure is to share the love and message of Christ with others. For them to see life change in us. For them to be drawn to the Lord. So you can give back to God and and not love him, but you cannot truly love God and not give to him. I want to say that again. It's, it's, it's so important we understand and wrap our minds around this, is that we, we could give to God and not love him. That's called legalism, right? We don't pass the plate, but if we did, you know, and, and people still carried cash, which I know many of you don't. Uh, I, I still do, because that sort of keeps me in alignment with what I spend, but, but my wife hardly ever has cash on her, you know? And, and, and so I get that, but if we did, could you imagine, you know, when churches, we used to pass the plate, you know, we could like pick out a big bag and go, and people could look at it and go, man, he just gave a lot of money. And God would go, yeah, and that's the only blessing you're going to get, show off, right? We don't even give that way here. What's the point I'm making? You could do that and not love God. In fact, you could do that and the only person you love is yourself. But you can't truly love God and not give to him. See, the principle of first fruits really teaches us that giving our first fruits to God acknowledges God owns everything and can provide evidence that our heart is his. Provides evidence our hearts is his. Paul writes this interesting passage in, in 2 Corinthians 8, 2 through 5. He's talking about a gift of, of finances that, that the Macedonian church gave. And, and listen to what he declares, 2 Corinthians 8, 2 through 5. He says, In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, in a, and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, then by the will of God to us. First of all, isn't it interesting that he points out the Macedonians are not wealthy. In fact, they're poor. And yet, what did they do? They begged to give. Can you imagine that? Come on, church. Can you imagine that? And he says they didn't give just out of their means. They, they gave generously, like they gave extravagantly. And he says, not, not as expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord, then to us. And, and it's just a beautiful picture that they, they were all in with God. And because they were all in with God, they didn't have this, this sort of this, this mindset of, of scarcity. They had this um, amazing ability to see an abundance because they realized that, that everything they had was God's anyway. And God owns everything and everything they need that he would provide. And so no matter what they gave, he could fill them up again. And we find that not only did they give financially, but they gave spiritually, but they gave of themselves to, to, to Paul and, and to his companions. They gave of their time, they gave of, of their talent, they gave of their testimony, and yes, they gave of their treasure. And the Macedonians who had little gave so much, and, and they did it for the Lord's glory and benefit, and they understood. They understood that in order to live a blessed life, in order to live a full life, then they had to decrease, and, and the Lord increased in them. 
This whole principle, I must be less and, and the Lord must be more in me. And that doesn't mean we become less of who we are. It just means I was sharing this this week with a friend of mine, and I didn't know how else better to share it. But when I, but when I shared it, I said, I've got to figure out how to reword that, and yet I haven't figured it out yet. And so it was last Thursday, and so I'm still working on it. But right now, this is how I explained it to him. I said, what's that really mean? It means like there's me, me, and there's Christ, me. And the me, me is me without Christ. It's me doing everything on my own. And, and, and it's like the old me sort of, sort of taking over all the stuff that I do before I came to Christ. That part of me before, that's the me, me. And the me in Christ is to transform me, the one that's becoming more and more like him. And, and when it says I must become less that he must become more in me, it doesn't mean that I totally don't exist. It just means that the me, me is less and the Christ me is greater. Get it? And so there's this undivided devotion to God, that God owns everything. And so the principle of first fruits also teaches us that a first fruit mindset is born out of, of giving yourself to God first. And that's the real key. It's not us giving of ourselves, whether it be our time, whether it be our talent, whether it be our treasure, whether it be our testimony. It's not just giving of that. It's giving ourselves to God first and by the power of his spirit, giving everything else, being all in. And so Paul goes even further. So in, in 2 Corinthians 8, he talks about the Macedonians. Look what he writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, next chapter. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now the word loves there, God loves, it really means God approves of. That's, that's the wording really there. God approves of a cheerful giver. And, and I once had someone say to me, so if, I, if I'm not cheerful, does that mean I don't need to give? Right? And I say, no, you need to give and pray, but God makes you cheerful. <laughs> and God approves of that. But understand, it says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart that, that it's something between you and God. It's, it's something that, that, you, that you pray over and trust in him and allow him to lead you in. And, and sometimes he'll lead you to, to do some, some pretty wild things. I had a friend one time share, but he had just bought a baby grand piano. He'd saved up money and he'd always wanted one and he had this thing. And he loved playing this baby grand piano. And he had heard a friend said that a church down the road had, had lost their piano and didn't have money to replace it. And he thought, that's terrible. And he began to pray for that church. You know where it's going, don't you? And the Lord said, why don't you give him that baby grant? And he said, wait a minute, they don't even want a baby grant. They didn't have a baby grant before. Why would I give them the baby grant? Lord, you gave me the money to, to have this baby grant. The Lord said, I can give you money to get another one too. But, but do you, are you all in? He said, he Prayed, Lord, well, if you want me to do it, make me happy to do it. <laughs> and with joy, he called up the church and said, hey, I heard you need a piano. Can you get some guys over here and move it and take it to your church? He said it was a little bit after that that he thought about it. He said, you know, I could play this piano in my home and a couple of people listen to it every once in a while and get some joy out of it myself. He said, but every single week, a whole congregation of people are worshiping the Lord because of that piano. Lord, thank you for giving me the money to get that piano to give to that church. Let me tell you something. That's a gentleman who's all in. And that's a gentleman who challenges me as your pastor, by the way. So God approves a discipline then that God has established, and we've already sort of looked at since the time of the Old Testament is this first fruits, is this tithe. And I just want to spend some time looking at that. A tithe is a word that means a tenth part, 10%. And so anything less than 10% isn't a tithe because the word means 
10%, you guys got it, right? So anything else is not a tithe. And the Bible makes it clear that God expects that the tithe would be given back to as an act of worship to the place of worship. Malachi 3.10, first part of that verse says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that they may have food in my house. And the Bible also makes it clear that there should be a plan, 1 Corinthians 16.2. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. And so there's this tithe. And Elijah did a great job explaining it earlier in his service. And so I'll just recap a little bit. Tithe's 10%. It's the first fruit of what we give to the Lord. And then the offering is anything above that. In fact, every time we do communion, we take an offering. We, we give opportunity to give the caring, giving and caring fund. And that's a fund, a giving, uh, caring and sharing fund, that goes to people in our own congregation who have financial need. That's an offering. And so if you're taking it out of your tithe, then it's no longer an offering and no longer is that a tithe. And, and so the reality of it is it's above and beyond. And it's an amazing thing that God encourages us to do is to give of this. And I can't help but think of the idea of tithing and the idea of the Macedonians who had so little and yet they gave. And yet many of us have so much and yet we have so much trouble giving at all. Why is that? Why is it that I've been to some of the poorest places on this planet and people give? I mean, they don't even have money. I was at a church one time and and I thought it was the weirdest thing as, as a couple of people came in with chickens. This is the honest to God truth. And I said, what, what, what are they doing with the chickens? Like, I was getting a little weirded out by it, you know? Like, we're getting ready to have church service, and I thought, are they going to do something with the chickens during service? I mean, you know, I've heard of, like, serpent people. Like, are they going to do something with chickens? And I thought, this is going to be really weird. And, and so I asked. I said, what are they doing with the chickens? And they said, well, that's their tithe. That's their tithe. They raised chickens, and so they, they brought the healthiest chickens to the church. What in the world? Come on. Is that not stirring you a little bit? It's a little conviction in the room. <laughs> I was. I still am. Yeah, you're going to start bringing chickens? Okay, Betty will take them from you. If you have them, just give them to her. She'll take care of them. It's an interesting thing. In the video, you have Cain and Abel, right? And Cain, he's like, you know what? I'm going to wait until I know I have enough, then I'll bring the Lord something. Abel's like, you know, I'm going to bring something and I won't know if I have enough. I'll just trust that God will give it for me. Do you believe that God is true to his word? That's what all in is all about. See, it's easier to be all in if you can trust the one you're all in with. If you believe his way is the best way, if you believe that walking outside that perimeter of safety is going to be disastrous for your life, but walking within the perimeter of safety of God's word, but it's going to bring blessing, but it's going to allow you to live in fullness, it's going to give you spiritual power, that God has, has an endless supply of all these things, and that when we're walking in, a, in agreement with him, that the resources of heaven are poured into our life. Let me, let me bring this up because I think it's important. Some have noted that most... In fact, all but one example of giving in the New Testament does not use 10% as a benchmark. I've had people point that out to me quite a bit over the years. And this is true. It's true. But before anyone exhales and goes, wow, good, I'm off the hook, I want you to understand why that 10% isn't mentioned in the other passages of the New Testament. Because nowhere in the other passages is that low percentage used. The Macedonians didn't say, I'll give 10%. They gave generously of what they really didn't have, trusting that God would replace what they didn't have with much more. And what did God, what did God do? Abundantly bless them. 
I have people say to me, I'm a New Testament giver. Come on, church. I love it when someone says that to me. Because what they mean is, I'm not under the 10%. And I go, wow, that's great. Because if you're a New Testament giver, that means that percentage is way low. You're giving much more. Praise God. And they usually go, what am I talking about? Also, let me point out this. But those who really get uptight about money don't manage it well. Those who really get uptight about money in church and go, why does he have to talk about this once a year? They, you know, who really get upset with that? They, 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 they're the ones that, that really, they're, they're not tithers. Anyone who's been obedient in this is excited every time I share on it. I can see it on their faces. Like they're the only people who have said amen so far. You know what I'm saying? But maybe we should sit back and, and think about that testimony. But those who have entered into this way of living do not regret it. But those who trust God in this way are excited about it. In fact, I leaned over to a friend right before this service, and I said, is there something weird that I'm super excited about preaching on tithing this morning? And she said, no. It's what God wants for us. Not from us, but for us. And so let me give you some practical steps this morning. First of all, if you're not already a part of a small group or a one-on-one -on -one discipleship relationship, why don't you start there? You say, well, that's not even a financial... No, no, it's, it's a growing in Christ thing. Like, why not start there? Get in a fellowship of people and, and in a relationship with another believer where you can grow in Christ and, and know what God's best is for you. Maybe participate in Financial Peace University because, because I know when I first took a step of faith in tithing, I wasn't dealing with my finances properly. I needed to be mentored. And so I was mentored in what it meant to really take care of my finances in a way that honored God. And as I did that, God worked in an amazing way. And Financial Peace University is something we offer here to help people find freedom in Christ, power in Christ through their finances. Either of those things, if you're interested, you can go to Info Central out in the, out in the lobby and, and learn more about that. The second thing I would bring up is the is 90-day tithing challenge. You go, what in the world? If you haven't been around here, that sounds really strange. 90-day tithing challenge. God says this in Malachi 3.10. He's talking about the tithe. And he says, test me in this. That seems really weird because I had been taught before I came across that verse that the Lord said, don't test him. Like you're not supposed to test God. And yet God says in Malachi 3, he said, well, test me in this. It's like from, in my words, he's like, I double dog dare you. He says, test me and see if I won't open the floodgates of heaven in your life. See if I won't give you power. See if I won't give you strength. See if I won't give you peace. Test me. I dare you. Test me in this. And so the 90-day tithing challenge is something that people have participated in. I've been around it for over 30-some years, where people say, for the next 90 days, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to be all in with God with this. And I'm going to test him and see, over the next 90 days, if God is true to his word. And here's the commitment we make as a church. If you decide to do that, if at the end of 90 days, God hasn't been true to who what he promises you. And it's all in relationship. We'll give you your tithe back. It's a no risk. Now, by the way, you have to keep track. You have to give it away, but you keep track. You can't come and say, I gave cash and it was a million bucks. <laughs> it ain't gonna happen. But you're gonna hear about that in a little bit later. But let me say this. Let me say this. 
When we look at this first fruits all in relationship that God calls us to. Our, our, our giving to the Lord is never because he needs it. After all, he has everything. Really, we don't give, we return to the Lord what's already his. The first fruits, we, we give to him. In fact, it's amazing to me if a guy says, everything is mine, give me back 10%, 90%, you steward. Our returning to the Lord is a portion of what he's given us, our, the first fruits in our lives. Giving to the Lord of our first fruits is for our benefit. And I can't overemphasize that enough. It's our benefit, it's freedom, it's power. Giving our first fruits to God acknowledges God owns everything. Gives evidence, if you will, that our heart is truly his. A first fruit mindset is born out of, of giving of ourselves to God first. So it was my first time as a lead pastor sharing a message on tithing. I'll admit I was a little nervous. I knew that any time money came up, people got tense, and I just didn't like that. Now, after 30 years, I don't, I don't care so much, but, I, but then I really cared a lot about that. Now I know it's all in God's hands. It's not about me anyway. But I get done preaching, and, and, and after the service, a guy starts running up to me, and I go, uh-oh, here it comes. And he said to me, he said, he said listen, uh, you know, I was listening to you this morning, and, and I was waiting, and he said, uh, I just have a question. How do I know this Jesus? Hmm. Nothing about the tithing, nothing about any of that. How do I know this Jesus? And I shared with him, and he said, I want to commit to that. I want to commit to him. And he came to Christ right after a tithing message. And I went, Lord God, if that's not great proof, what this is really about, I don't know what is. Why do I share that? Because if you're here this morning, if you're online this morning and you don't know Jesus, your first step is not giving back. Your first step is receiving Jesus. That's where it begins. If Christ isn't in your life, this message makes no sense. If Christ is in, this, in your life, then this does make sense because it's talking about how to become more like Jesus, how to grow in Christ, how to walk in the parameter of safety that his word provides for us. And so if you've yet to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, yes, even after a message on giving, Receive. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. And for those of us who have, let's just take the next step he's calling us to take. Amen, church, with him? All in. Holding nothing back. Again, I'm not perfect in it, but I'm being perfected. How about you? Wherever you find yourself, won't you just take a moment, figuratively lay yourself before the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, what a remarkable journey we embark on when we say yes to you. When we receive you as our Lord and Savior, and Lord God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room, anyone online who's yet to receive you as, as Lord and Savior, but even now, in the quietness of their heart, that Lord God, they would just profess that, that Lord God, they, they, that they want you in their life, that they, they trust that they've been created for this relationship that you You've made them for to be all in with you. And so, Lord, thank you for dying for our sins, being resurrected for our salvation, for the new life we, we find in you when we receive you as Savior and Lord of our life. Lord. Lord God, I pray for those of us who've walked with you, whether it be weeks, months, or years. Lord, would you make us all in with you? Would you help us, Lord God? Would you help us? 
So that not only would you bless this gathering, but as we scatter throughout this region to the places where we live, where we work, where we go to school and play, Lord God, that we would be able to share your love and message with those around us. That, that Lord God, we wouldn't have a relationship with you that's characterized by 60%, 70%, 80%, or 90%, but Lord, we'd be 100% in with you. Realizing that isn't always doesn't always look perfect, Lord God, but as you perfect us, that you are so honored and that we're blessed and we're able to bless others. Would you give us the, the heart of the Macedonians, Lord, who didn't live with scarcity, even though they had little. They lived with an abundance mindset because they realized you have so much and because of you, they have much in you. Lord, for those who are prayerfully considering the 90-day challenge, Lord, I pray that they would Take that step of faith to see what you would do. After all, you said, test me and see. May we test you and see that you would be glorified, that we would live that fullness of life that can only be found in Jesus. And we give you the praise, the glory, for all that you're doing in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.